This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. I wanted to share this with you specifically because one of the things that we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks is this concept of, of, uh, of deconstruction, of, of, of people walking away from their faith and, uh, and people trying to rebuild a new kind of faith and things like secular humanism. And in the, in the next couple of weeks, I want to show you how what we believed, and everybody in this room, if we'd raise your hand and say, yeah, we believe that every right, every human has dignity. Every human should have the right to live. Like everybody would say that, but we couldn't prove that in a Petri dish, right? There's no science lab that can say that. Nature sure doesn't say that. Nature says the opposite. Nature says the strong eat the weak. But we're going to show you, I want to, and Romans 2 is like fertile ground for this exact conversation of where if you're going to deconstruct your faith in Christ and you rebuild something that's actually worse, which is what many are, are doing right now, uh, you leave yourself in far greater danger. So if you've got your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 2, I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And now verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based in truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But... Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good, by the word, uh, that word there, persistence in doing good is actually a very key word. If you are perfect and you are nailing it on doing good your whole life, okay? which is basically none of us. We're going to see that. Uh, those who are persistent and doing good, seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. If that's the way you want to live your life, God will absolutely let you be scored on that way. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And he goes on to say, because God is not a God of, of favoritism. So let's pray. That's the word of God. Heavenly Father, we ask for your wisdom today, for your word to be the light and the lamp that you promised that it could be for us. Lord, in a, in a world where there's just all kinds of confusion and crazy and and, and lies and have truths and it's hard to find the truth and, but your word is the truth would you let that shine in us today and it's in Jesus name we pray amen you know when we talk through a study like this it's important that we get the the words defined properly 
so that when I say the word, that you know what I mean by saying that word. The English language is kind of crazy, right? And this is important, by the way, because there are, uh, there are men out there like Richard Rohr who says when he uses the word atonement, he means something different. He knows what we mean when we say atonement, but he uses that word specifically to try to, quote, redeem the word and mean something different by it. That's also known as deception, by the way. But what he's saying is that Jesus did not die for your sins, so he uses the words atonement in a completely different manner so that we would still believe what he's saying and he could ease it in. Uh, to, to prove this in a different way, that when I use a word that's important, uh, that you know what I mean, uh, like when I went to my coffee barista and I said, hey, can you give me the lightest roast that you have? And, and he said, you have very average ears. It was a grenade joke, right? You pull the pin, it takes about five seconds before it goes off. But for those of you who are not catching up or keeping up, like roast means coffee, but it also means roasting Darren, and your average roast is, you know, lightest roast is I have average ears. So we there? It was, man, I wish I would have just not said that one. I should have. <laughs> Somebody write that down. That's a boo. Yeah, Chris, Chris Caldwell, that's it's true. We'll, we'll take that off. Here's, when I say the word deconstruction, okay? Uh, it's actually a literary term, but it's been hijacked lately uh, by those who are, using, who are kind of uh, picking their faith apart. But I say the word deconstruction. There are those in this room that you know somebody and you love somebody who is maybe going through this journey right now, and they're talking about deconstructing their faith. I have very close friends. I have fellow former pastors in this town that are on that same journey, and they're saying they're going through. So you might be like me, and you have friends that are on this journey of deconstruction. There are those of you in this room that maybe you are at the beginning of or somewhere in the process of this deconstruction. And third, there are those of you who literally have no idea what I'm talking about. Out of curiosity, how many say, when I say deconstruction, you don't know what I mean? Just put them up real high. It's fine. Because you guys are the ones not on the internet, and I'm proud of you. That's all I'm saying. Like, you guys not, must not be on social media, and that's totally fine. Deconstruction. Now, here's the term. We're going to define it as this. Uh, it's the, the heading most recently, and I say most recently because this is not a new thing. You can go all the way back to Pilgrim's Progress and find atheists attacking the faith. Deconstruction is the heading most recently applied to the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. That, that's, when that term is used, for the most part, that is what is meant, and when I use that term, that is what I'm going to mean by it. So everybody understands what that is. Now look, on the other hand, there is a part where someone could use the word deconstruction and mean, hey, there are some things about the faith that I have, that I've looked to the, to, my, to the Bible and to the Word of God, and it's actually not in the Word. It's religion. That's actually a good thing and a good, a good part of deconstruction. But if all you're doing, I mean, is going in and destroying, completely demolishing faith. Uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Do you guys know who the, who the Chip and Joanna are? See, now I've got my target audience. Uh, <laughs> what, what's Chip's favorite day? Demo day. Everybody loves Demo Day. It's easy to tear stuff down. But if all they did was go in and destroy the place and leave it, they've left it worse than when they found it. And much of what is passing for deconstruction is either destroying someone's faith altogether 
or rebuilding another form of religion, whether it's wokeism, secular humanism, or progressive Christianity. There's some other version that they're rebuilding in its place that is actually at least as bad, if not worse, than what they tore down to begin with. And if you haven't come across it yet, it's pervasive and it's going to become more pervasive. There are many of, again, my friends who are former pastors, there are many of my friends who are former colleagues in the music world, that this is the journey that they've been on. It's coming for us. Now, I bring it up in this passage specifically because I'm reading Romans 2, and what I'm seeing is a guy named Saul who actually went through deconstruction. Like Paul deconstructed religion. Paul, and we're going to see chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, deconstructed favoritism. But Paul ultimately actually realized that repentance trumps deconstruction. Like repentance that you're changing your mind about this and I'm turning towards the Lord is better than deconstruction because I'm not just going in and demolishing the world. I'm actually allowing the gospel to rebuild my life and transform me in a way that just a bunch of rules and regulations and policies and procedures never could. Now here's why I say that and here's why I believe that, that this is what Paul, the deconstruction of Saul that turns to Paul in verses one, two, three, and four. He literally deconstructs religion. When you start reading the words here, you therefore, you have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else, right? And he's talking about passing judgment specifically on those who were not Jewish, those who were even Jewish in, maybe in Christian faith, passing judgment on those from chapter one. You have no business, no right doing that at all. You do this, you're just condemning yourself. Now, Pray tell, what did Paul do for years and years and years before he came to Christ? That. He just sat around condemning people. You first encounter Paul in Acts 6 and 7 when a young man named Stephen is being judged and condemned to the point where now he's being martyred. Okay? And it's chapter 7, it says, and there was a young man named Saul, and they put their coats at his feet. He wasn't like a coat check guy with a ticket to, to keep your coat. He was the guy that was having to protect your coats from being stolen so that you don't get your coats bloody while you're killing this guy. Chapter 8, he shows up and it says that he approved of that killing. And then in verses 2, 3, and 4 of 8, he's now pulling men and women, by the way, that's a big deal, men and women from their homes and imprisoning them because of their Christian faith. By chapter 9 of Acts, he's still breathing murderous threats against them. That was his life, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, judging others until he had a spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost encounter with Jesus on a road to Damascus, and his life was forever changed. And all of that religion is now gone because he realized if anybody is qualified to tell us that religion wasn't going to work, it's Paul. Because he knew every time he tried to force somebody to do it, it didn't work. He knew that in his own heart, he was struggling with the same things they were struggling with. And this whole religion was nothing but exhausting. And when I hear for the most part other people, there's an interview that's out this week on the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Has anybody been listening to this podcast? I, I'm, I'm torn. To be honest with you, I'm torn when I listen to this. 
Because on the one hand, it's good for us to learn from other people's mistakes. On the other hand, why are there not podcasts out there that tell the story of the faithful pastors in Malawi that have given their lives for Christ and that nobody has ever seen or heard from? They live and they, they breathe and they die faithful and there's no podcast for them. And the reason is, is that nobody will listen to it. You know, uh, crisis porn is what this is. We, 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 it's the top podcast because we love to watch the train wreck. On the other hand, it's helpful for us to learn from other people's mistakes. So understand I'm torn. That's not a thus saith the Lord. That's a thus saith the Darren, and it's where I'm at in this process. But in this latest interview, he interviews a guy named Josh Harris. And I don't know if you guys know who Josh Harris is. Josh wrote a book in the uh, 90s called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I, in the 80s, uh, 90s, we were charismatic kids, and we didn't kiss dating goodbye because we wanted to kiss while we were dating. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, well, I appreciate all you independent fundamentalist Baptist church folks over at the charismatic church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Brian knows. Yeah. That's why they had church camp, man. We got kissing in the bushes, stuff. Like we, were, we were not kissing dating goodbye. Now, by the way, that, I do not encourage that. I'm just saying... Um, I'm just saying, we didn't do, this book made no sense to us. But to about a million people, it made a lot of sense. Because he sold a million copies of it. Josh builds this giant platform. He becomes famous and almost falls on his butt on the stage. He, he becomes famous. And then he begins to question some of the things that are happening. He's now the pastor of a church. He's the pastor of a church that is exerting an enormous amount of control. He's a pastor of a church that probably looked a lot like Romans 2. And what I'm getting at is that when I'm reading the words of what Josh has rejected from Christianity, I'm reading Romans 2 and saying, you know who else rejected that? Paul. Paul rejected that too. And I'm screaming at my iPhone going, but Josh, I reject that too. That's not the gospel. That's religion that you are rejecting. But notice what he said in this interview. If you want to listen to it, um, just Google uh, something, uh, the rise and fall of Mars, so I'm sure you can find it. But uh, if, you, if you don't listen to anything else, this bonus episode is, is, is totally worth it. Because what you hear is a young man who, by the way, has not finally landed on his faith yet. He says that, I, may not, I don't know where I'm at. I'm on this journey. I'm on a process. Now, for my preferences, it would be best to wait till you land the ship before you start selling people on the journey of the ship. There's a lot of people that have shipwrecked their faith on the questions, but not the answers. It doesn't take courage to ask questions. Anyone can ask questions. It's answers that take courage. But here's what he said. Uh, he, he, he says, it wasn't for me. This is, uh, they're asking him how this happened. And he says, it wasn't for me that these theological questions came up that I couldn't reconcile it. Right? It wasn't like uh, he heard some sudden theological argument that there was a hole in. He said, it really was, uh, I think, the outworking of the hurt that was there. Processing what we heard in this church, I think it was traumatic. The decisions we made in trying to do what we thought was right, causing us to lose all these relationships, it was literally like, if you're not loyal, you're cut off. Chapter 2, verse 1, you do the same things. You're judging them, but you are doing the same things. Josh wasn't leaving Jesus, he was leaving religion. And by the way, my invitation to you this morning, leave religion. If we're gonna define words again, I'm not speaking of the religion of James 
of orphans and widows. When I say religion, what I'm speaking of is the idea that I have to work to get to God. That's religion. The gospel is Jesus and God in Jesus worked to get to me. That's a big distinction. And if I can speak frankly to my conduit family, I want us, begging us, to not be a place where we cut people off. People, people move on from churches all the time. You all did. Heck, I started my own. That's not weird. If you see somebody at the grocery store that used to go to Conduit, don't act weird because it's not. We love them. God has assignments for people and places, and we love them. It's not weird. We don't even do membership. You don't need any paperwork to be here. And you sure don't need any paperwork to leave here. We know that God has seasons in our lives, and we want that to be part of it. And I think back to some of the hurt that Shannon and I had, that when we had, were part of a church that we poured our lives out for, and when we felt it was time to, to, to move on, we were suddenly dead to them. Like, we go to the grocery store, and now they're over in the frozen food department, and they've gone down. I'm like, well, I, I, God, I haven't seen them in forever. And, I, and by the way, they're not bad people. They love Jesus. We're going to be in heaven together. But it was hurtful for them because they've defined a relationship in a way that Jesus didn't define the relationship. And when I do that, then it gets sideways. Another way of, of defining legalism that might be helpful for, for our purposes. In the Garden of Eden, in Acts chapter 3, when the serpent came to Eve, the serpent said, you know, tempting her, and she said the serpent, and I don't have the verses in front of me, but he said to Eve, uh, he's holding out on you, all those lies that, that Satan does. And Eve's response to him was, oh, no, no, we can't eat this. God told us don't eat this. He told us don't even touch it. Now, what's the problem with that statement? If you go back to Acts chapter 2, what did God tell them? God told them, don't eat it. She added, don't touch it. And legalism was born. Every time I add something on to what is not in God's word, and by the way, not a bad thing. Don't touch it, I won't be able to eat it. That's probably, if God tells you don't touch it, that way you won't eat it, then let it be. But do not, do not make your God's invitation of Holy Spirit of a, of a conviction in your heart become a should for somebody else. We call that taking a should on them. You're never going to forget that. Should is shaming language. The gospel is not. How do we say it? Shame on you. The gospel is shame off you. Now, to go back to Josh Harris's thing, is one way to not have sex before marriage, Romans 1, to not date anybody? Sure, that's one way to do it. Can you find that anywhere in the Bible? No. Entire denominations have been built because there were no instruments in the New Testament. So just to say that there was no dating in the Bible means there should be no dating in real life. Understand, that's pretty shaky ground. That's a, God maybe told him to do that, but to add it to you and me as a plate, it becomes legalism, it becomes religion, and most of what happens in all of deconstruction, that journey doesn't start with the questions there, it starts with the hurt 
that somebody experienced in a church family where someone took a should on them, where there was supposed to be an invitation, and the pain was born. And out of that hurt grows those kinds of questions. And if you're experiencing any of those kinds of hurts from our church, please reach out to us. There's many ways in which we will not let you down because we've learned a lot in my 50 years, but we'll probably make up new ways to let you down. And part of the way that we don't have the hurt and the shame or whatever is you have the permission to email me and say, hey, can we meet? Because that didn't feel right. And and some of you have had those meetings with me. We, We feel that that's part of this communication between us. Not making this a religious thing is important, and by making it a religious thing, I'm saying we're adding rules and regulations and policies and procedures that were not in the word, and I'm saying we're trying our best to say, you follow Jesus, I follow Jesus, we're gonna trust in the Holy Spirit, trust in God's word, Jesus is the pastor of this church, and trust me, he's way better at it than I am. And if you're on that journey of the deconstruction road yourself, Can I just ask you to say and look at everything in my life that I'm rejecting right now and say, wait, is that not something that Paul rejected as well? Because he rejected religion. He also rejected uh, deconstructed favoritism. That's the next thing on there. It talks about the, he does not show, verse 11, God does not show favoritism. For the, for the Jews, for the, for the Gentiles, there was this idea that this race and this race was better, this race was here, and, but these guys were better. And by the way, the Gentiles thought the Jews were a problem. That's why they kept exiling them and banishing them. And the Jews thought the Gentiles were a problem so, because you know, obviously they were, you guys are unclean, we can't be around you. And this idea of racial disharmony, of favoritism one over the other, Paul obliterates it and says nobody is favorites in God's eyes. And he's using it in the context of the religion itself because those previous verses, and we're going to talk about this next week, is what's moralism, it's religion, it's this idea that if I work hard enough, then God owes me something. If I work hard enough, and by the way, every bit as dangerous as the, as the paganism of chapter one is the religionism of chapter two. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the, the, the prodigal son story is actually a chapter one, chapter two juxtaposition. Right? The, 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 the son that goes away from home into debauchery, right? into prostitutes. You can almost cross-reference his life with Romans 1. Right? But the, the story of the prodigal son isn't a story of one son that went away from home. It's a story of two sons who both needed salvation. One was Romans 1 and the other was Romans 2. Because the son at home needed saving just as much as the first son, but he was trying to get his salvation from working it and both of them were dead ends. And in favoritism, that's why favoritism, why God rejects it, because religion always leads to favoritism. Religion leads to superiority. There's there's a quote in this this podcast where uh, Harris is recounting a conversation he had actually with a mutual friend named Don Miller. And and Don had told him, actually texted him, like, dude, your next online course needs to be about how to create mic drop moments in a conversation. Because what he said to him uh, was, well, you guys, this is uh, Don saying to Josh back when he was still in this fundamentalist world, you guys are are, are so humble. It's just so surprising that that you're so aware of how humble you are. You guys are so humble. It's just amazing how aware of how humble you are. 
the irony being that right if you're really that humble, you really wouldn't be aware of how humble you were. And Josh said that landed in me and it was something for years that sat in me. And why that's important is that the humbleness that he was pretending was actually a false humility. It was nothing but stubbornness and unrepentance is what this passage says, that I'm enforcing religion and that religion of stubbornness and unrepentance. If I want to try to stand before God with that in my mind, if I want to stand before God, is that as my way to salvation? It's not going to work that way. The last thing on this that I want to show you is, is this idea that he actually chose not just to deconstruct favoritism, but he actually made a, a, a decision, Paul did, that repentance trumps deconstruction. You see, deconstruction is this idea that I can just pick this apart and, and tear it down, but the Bible actually calls that repentance. If I say that the word deconstruction is about me rethinking something and I'm thinking about it differently now and I'm going to live differently according to that. That's how some would describe it. That's actually biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is looking at this thing that I've believed, but I know that it's not right now. And so I'm going to, I'm now I see the truth and I'm turning around and I'm going a different way. Repentance isn't guilt. Guilt just changes your mind, but repentance changes your heart. And God wants to transform your heart from the inside out. Harris, in this interview, says this. He talks about the church that he was the, the, the pastor of. He says that it was like someone came along as these experiences were happening that were just rocking his world. Someone came along and just smashed the heck out of my Lego castle. <laughs> as the, the religion that he had, right, was being smashed. And I, was, I heard those words, I was like, man, but doesn't that sound similar to something that Jesus told us to do, that the wise man builds his house on the rock, and the foolish man builds his house on, on the sand, that if your house is not built on the foundation of the gospel, if it's built on the foundation of religion, when the waters come, it will be smashed and then he goes on to say, this, this quote, I'll, I'll just give you the, the, it's very long, but I'll just give you the breadth of it. He goes on to say that the, the further I got into this, the more that what I realized I was doing was not bringing me life. It was leading to fear, to control, to ostracization, to marginalization. And he said, I just couldn't do that anymore. And if that is you this morning and your religion has brought you to a place where it is, I feel like I'm trying to control everybody, that I'm afraid and that it's fear-based, that's not the gospel, that's religion. And you should tear it down. We have a man in this church named Mark Bourgeois. Mark is one of the most successful men that I've known personally. He's, he's done some amazing things in this life. And I asked Mark once, before that, he was in a church very much like where maybe Josh Harris was, very fundamentalist, very controlling, very rules and regulations and policies and procedures. And I said, what was it about that that was so attractive to you? And he didn't even blink. He didn't even hesitate. He said, oh, because I knew what the rules were. I knew how to succeed. If I did one, two, three, and four in business, this is how you succeed in business. And I knew that in religion, I do one, two, three, and four, and now I've done this, I've got the, the, the curriculum, I've got these books done, I've done these classes, and now I'm successful, except I wasn't. 
except I had this giant hole in my heart because Christianity, the gospel, is not business. It's not steps one, two, three, and four. And Harris goes on to say, there's no life in that. There was no life in what I was doing. Mark said, I got to this place and I saw that there was like this charismatic church in town and that all I knew was there was life there and I followed the life. He came to this fork in his road. Do I go to doom and and, and, and religion and bondage or do I follow the life? Now we believe here the truth and the spirit. They're not mutually exclusive. They are intertwined, hopelessly interlinked together. But if you've got just the truth and no spirit, you've got something where there's no life at all. And I would encourage you and me, everyone around here, to follow the life. As I have uh, thought about, and we're out of time, so we're going to talk about this next week. Paul had a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it changed him forever. Paul had a supernatural encounter. It wasn't an academic exercise. Nobody well-crafted the argument enough, but he had an experience with the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to say is that there's no preacher in town that can preach you into believing in Jesus, into believing in the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can This is the basis for everything that we do. This is the word of God, and on it we stand. On this is our foundation, and out of this the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. And I believe with all of my heart that what Jesus wants in this town, in this country, in this world, are a bunch of Jesus people, not married to religion, not married to rules, regulations, policies, and procedures, but with the Holy Spirit inside of us, stepping into positions of teachers, stepping into positions of school boards, stepping into positions of hairstylists and preachers and missionaries and military, because the world surrounded with a bunch of people full of the Holy Spirit, with a foundation in the Word of God, on this foundation I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what was that foundation? The sentence right before Peter said it. He said that, I believe that you are the Messiah. On that foundation, Jesus, the Son of God. That's why if you're going to tear your faith down and then replace it with woke religion, if you're going to replace it with some other universalist kind of religion, if you're going to replace it with atheism, you're still going to be worshiping something. You're still going to be offering your life as a sacrifice for something. But it would behoove you to make sure that whoever that is, that they are good and that they love you and that they have their best interests in mind. I had a conversation with a friend who was a universalist and he was talking about a, a guy that wrote this book and this guy wrote this book that said, uh, he, this guy had, had like, he spent 10 years as a Buddhist and he spent 10 years with Hinduism and 10 years in Christianity and, and the, the, this guy at the end of his life, they ask him, you know, what, what do you say to us? What, is, what, is, what have you learned from this entire life? And he said at the end of his life, well, the answer is, is that we are in good hands. But here's the problem. If those hands don't have holes in them, the hands of Jesus have holes in them. I know that my Savior is good because his hands have holes in them. He proved it with his life. Buddha's hands had no holes in them. Muhammad 
only left holes in the people that he encountered who would not submit to him when he killed them. If you're going to put your hands in the, life in the hands of somebody, you better make sure that they're hands that you can trust. And the hands of Jesus, the hands that I pray that Josh Harris returns to, not the hands of religion, not the hands of legalism, not the hands of creating some brand new whatever it is thing, but the hands of Jesus who history, it is a known fact that a man was here, that he was crucified, that he resurrected. There is, you can go to the tomb of Buddha, the tomb of Muhammad, they, they venerated them all. But you go to Israel and you can't find a tomb to venerate for Jesus because he isn't there. He's risen, just as he said. Put your hands, put your life in those hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for Josh Harris. I don't know him, but I know many of these people know Josh. I pray for my friends and many of our friends that are in this journey right now of seeking and asking for this new thing of what are you doing in their life, Lord. I pray that you would uh, become and make yourself real to them in your just make yourself real to them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give them supernatural encounters with the Holy Spirit. I've had them. Many people in this room have had them. You can't take that away. All I know, God, is I was blind and now I see. <laughs> Would you bring that to us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.